It's our Bold Predictions episode. It's time to have some fun. We'll give some interesting predictions for what will happen in 2023 with guest Michael Govier of FTN Fantasy. Plus, we'll have some first few weeks strategy and a ton of opening day injuries. Sit back and enjoy. Beat the Shift is coming up next. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruvain Guy. How are you, Ruvain? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. We are recording this podcast on opening day, so happy opening week to all of you. We saw the Mets win yet another opening day, as they usually do, 5-3 to three over the Marlins. Brandon Nimmo, our hero, and my favorite Met, I think, right now, had the big day with three RBIs. How was your opening day, Ruvain? Opening day is great. I love opening day. Even though I'm working, I have almost all the games on in the background, so I actually watch the games in between seeing patients. Uh, don't tell the patients that. Um, and it's a great day because all our work that we did in the preseason, we get to see how it pans out, and it starts today. Yeah, and I'm chock full of injuries. My labor team is decimated. I've got Verlander, Max Fried, Edwin Diaz, and Altuve on the same team. Yikes. Yet I'm actually in first place after the first day, so that's pretty darn good. It was a pretty busy weekend. Uh, actually, I saw you, Ruvain, uh, Saturday night. We drafted on our home league auction, which, which was a blast. You had fun at that? Yeah, it was it was great. I actually brought my son because he loves baseball. He loves the auction idea. He, I mean, he does regular drafts. He's only 14, but he does drafts already. And he just wanted to get the feel of what an, an actual live auction feels like. Absolutely. No, we had a very fun experience there. Nice to see some people uh, who ha- we haven't seen for maybe four years since before COVID. So really That's a great right. experience there. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that was the start of my busy weekend. I got home at like 2.30. I had to wake up to check a bunch of fields for our uh, little league, and then I had a my first softball game opening day. I pitched a three hitter. We won nine to one, uh, amazing. And then I don't know how this came about, but I, I I went to a chess tournament immediately after the softball, and I won second place. Um, I don't know how I did that on like three hours of sleep, but uh, that was a busy weekend. And then I had a pretty busy day uh, on Monday at work and getting. Just the last bits and pieces ready for the season. Final ATC projections. What a crazy week. But I'm so glad, so glad that baseball is here. Games that count. Um, the, that Toronto-St. Louis game was crazy. That Boston-Baltimore game was crazy. Just a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, the pace of games really going fast. Um, I don't know. Well, what's your experience so far? You, you like the new pace of the game? Yes and no. I mean, people go to games to spend time, and they're cutting down on some of the time, and I agree with it. It's great. It does speed it up in certain places, but there are certain times when you want it to be a little bit slower. Like, if you have to go to the bathroom, you may miss, like, an inning or an inning and a half just because the lines are long and because of how quick the pace of play is. All right. You got bathroom advice on this show as well. All right. Well, let, let, let's begin the show. We've got a fantastic guest here. Uh, he was in my uh, Tout Wars auction as well is the host of the palazzo podcast and he's uh, writes for ftn fantasy welcome michael govier how are you 
Hey, what a pleasure it is to be here. You know, three hours of sleep, that's not healthy. It's just not. No, it's not. But uh, sometimes it happens. Uh, <laughs> it happened this past weekend. I don't know. I don't know how I did all those things in the span of uh, about 18 hours. But uh, I'm re- refreshed now, sort of. Absolutely. You know, it's important to sleep. I've prided myself on always getting my rest. That's how I'm able to have so much energy and feel so excited about opening day 2023. This is the time of year where you can really, really soak it in. Because by August, when football starts to pick up a bit and other people go away, it becomes less... I don't know, not less exciting. Some of the energy of opening day just doesn't last all year, but I'm a baseball diehard, so when August rolls around and the dog days are here, I'm still enjoying it, but I'm really locked in on winning. And when opening day starts, you don't even think about winning your leagues because, you know, you're just having baseballs here. So I'm going to be appreciative of that and soak it in for now and worry about winning later. So we usually jump right into strategy, but I do want to ask you, Michael, because uh, you went out to the uh, to the NFBC out in Vegas. I know you're here in New York in Tout Wars. How, how was your experience? What, what, what did you find, and uh, what do you think of the whole thing? Well, it was a whirlwind back-to-back weekends, Ariel. New York, Tout Wars, drafted with you. We did our auction. You and I were the loudest two people in the room, and I'm very proud of that. Grateful for both of us. We announced our auction prices and bids clearly and fully. And you like to put, I was trying to figure this out. You did like the sailboat thing and the snowflake thing. I didn't understand that. What's the deal there? Is that what the numbers look like? Is that what it is? Some of them are poker terms, uh, but Ah. they're they're meant to throw people off uh, their (laughs) game. Because when you hear a number eight, and then I say something about a snowman and and, and we're like, what's going on? And, you know, sort of uh, trying to distract people from the actual bidding. And this way I can win players and uh, have make people bid higher when I want them to. Gamesmanship. I love it. So we had a great time doing that draft. I love the live auction experience. For those that don't know me, that was actually my very first live auction. And I've been playing fantasy baseball for 24 years now. And that was my first one. I loved it. It's so intensive. And every nomination, you're like, oh, do I want to be involved with this? I got to take a look at my stuff in front of me. And it all is just bang, 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 bang. I dug it with immense pleasure. I can't wait to do another one. And I'm so grateful to be a part of Tot Wars. I, I take a great sense of pride in being asked to be involved in the league with Tot Wars. It's a big deal. You know, it's the battle of the experts. And there's a lot of really smart, thoughtful, and knowledgeable players in there. So I was grateful for the experience. Had a great time in Midtown. Me and my wife, Leanne, we stayed over at the uh, Hilton in Midtown. We walked around, got some food, had some cheesecake at Junior's. It was a great weekend. And then last weekend in Vegas, that was a ball. It was really, really about my only draft, which is the main event. That was Saturday morning when all at once in a big old conference room. This was at the Mirage, by the way. Eight drafts simultaneously, eight main event drafts, Saturday morning, 11 a.m. They all happen basically like a shotgun start. All right, here we go. Everybody start drafting. And it's 30 rounds, 15 team, five by five roto. And man, I didn't I didn't feel great about my team. There's 
a break after the 10th round, and then there's a break after the 20th round, and it closes after the 30th. After the 10th round, I only had two starting pitchers with Sandy Alcantara and Logan Webb. And after the 20th round, I was able to add a couple more pitchers, but I still felt weak on the starting pitching angle. But overall, I know that it's not just about the draft. It's about fab and working the waiver wire, and that's going to be a big part of the season. So, oh, Logan Webb had a great opening day today, so that felt good today. I felt good about 12Ks against the Yankees. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the, the waiver wire. I want to talk about that uh, in our strategy section today. You know, we're starting the season, so let's talk first few weeks strategy. And I'll throw it to Ruvain first. Um, do what, what are you looking to do with your fab in the first few weeks? Are you holding fab back? Are you looking to make a big splash? Because obviously if you buy the, the players in the first couple of weeks that, that we all missed by our preparation, they could be the keys to the season. And also you when you buy somebody up front, you're getting for the entire season. If you're holding fab to the end, you know, you're only getting them for partial season. How are you working fab? Are you spending big, spending not? What's going on? I tend to be more conservative. I, I play on the more conservative side because I want to have more money toward the end of the season. I don't want to use all my money very early on. Um, it, but it also depends on my team, what my team looks like. I mean, if you had, a, if let's say you had Edwin Diaz or you had uh, another injured player before the season, before you drafted or you drafted and now they're injured, you want to be able to replace that player. So I saw in a lot of leagues, people were bidding $200, and T, uh, $200 of Feb, $400 in TGFBI for David Robertson. Two teams also bid over $100 for both for Derek Hall and AJ Minter in another league I'm in. I, I, I can't see using 10%, 20%, 30%, 40% of your budget even before the season starts or early on, first couple of weeks, because you need that money for later on. You need to have that ability to have the, uh, the to be able to change up on the fly during the course season because you're going to have more than just one injury. You don't have to replace only one guy. You're going to have to replace a lot of different players during the course of the season. So it's better to hold on to the money. I understand why people do be why people are aggressive early on, but I just don't feel that it's the right move. Well, I think it's, it's situation dependent. I mean, I had Edwin Diaz on a bunch of teams. I spent up a little bit. Uh, I bought David Robertson in labor for uh, 17% of my budget because you know I needed I needed the guy to fill in for the guy that I lost. If you do spot someone that looks like they're a lot better than expected, uh, for example, Brendan Donovan, I haven't really been following him all draft season, and I see what he did today, and I see where he's batting in the lineup, and I'm like, wait a minute, that guy sounds really interesting. I might put something down. I don't go crazy, but I might pay a little bit more because remember, you're getting him for an entire season. How are you thinking about Fab, Michael? Yeah, I think you guys covered it fairly well. You want to wait and not blow your wad too soon. I get that. But at the same time, you know, there's Tyler O'Neill, 2021. I remember in my first year in the main events, he was available. And boy, I think someone won him with a close to $300 bid out of a $1,000 Fab budget. And I was really disappointed because he had a great year that year in 2021. Tyler O'Neill was a factor. And that was worth spending the money on. So it's really a case-by-case basis. I played it more conservative in 2021, got a little more aggressive with my fab by spending a bit more if I thought a guy was worth it in 2022. And as we move into 2023, I'm hoping to be somewhere in the middle. Again, context is king. It's everything. What do you need? 
what are you trying to improve? Do you see holes? Even if you don't have injuries, do you see a guy who's struggling and you want to move on from him? Is there a guy like Brandon Donovan who looks like he's a really good player and he's leading off in a great lineup? That's somebody who's, if he's available, is def worth, he's definitely worth spending some cash on. So I like to be cautious in April and not overreact, but at the same time, if I see an opportunity that I see that no one else sees, then I'll spend the money to get it. And sometimes I'll spend more to make sure I get the guy I want to get because you just have no idea what other people are going to spend half the time. So in terms of what you're looking for, right, you know, how, how do you know who the next person is that's going to be great? Or how do you know, how do you know a starter that looks like he might be a good streaming option? Uh, what kinds of things do you look for, Michael, in the first few weeks, maybe in terms of what players are doing, roles, or maybe some key stats? Like, what are you looking for that makes you want to pick somebody up in the first couple of weeks? Well, I will look at you know, ground ball rates. Is a guy hitting a bunch of ground balls? Is he getting unlucky? You know, I don't look his bab up so much, but I am interested to see if a guy is just normally would lift the ball a lot more, maybe isn't lifting the ball as much. So if there's a tangible change that should happen it's just not happening right away or you know there's crazy variables like last year the season started with a a dead ball i mean the ball was very much more deadened than it ever had been before and that was impactful so knowing that and really locking in on that you can go into the market and say wow i'm going to need more power so that is a kind of variable that you don't necessarily plan for, but you got to be ready to react to. So I, I was trying to get more power early on, and power became a much more precious item last year than it really had been in a long time. So I'm going to look for those situations. I'm going to look for role changes when it comes to closers. There's always a lot of people in the mix. Not every team you know, had a Edwin Diaz. You know, may he rest in power. He'll be back one day. You know, he was going to be the guy for sure for the Mets, and he was going to be the guy to get all the saves for the most part. But there's a lot of places like the Mariners with Paul Seawald and Andres Munoz. There could be multiple save opportunities there. So I look for those role changes when it comes to closers a lot more. But when it comes to a role change in a hitter's position, I want to see consistency that he's being put in the lineup, not just – Oh, he played three times last week and he looked good. Or maybe he only platooned. Did he play just first lefties and he's a righty hitter or vice versa? All of those things matter. All of these variables matter. And I'm going to take it by a case-by-case basis and try to make, well, put all my experiential knowledge of fantasy baseball together to make a wise choice. Ruvain, what are you looking for in terms of players that you'd like to pick up? couple of things. First, I'm going to look for in pitchers velocity. I want to see if their velocity is up. I want to see if the velocity is down or see how effective they are, how many player, how many, how many walks they're giving up. I want to see this year specifically stolen base trends, how the shift or non-shift now is affecting different, different batters, whether it's a lefty hitting with no shift now, whether it's the bigger bases causing more stolen bases or with new managers out there, their tendencies with stolen bases are they more free in letting the base runners run are they going to get more stolen bases in general so those are trends you have to look for uh, Michael you hit on some of the stuff about relievers I want to talk about reliever usages when they're being used are they being used in this fifth inning sixth inning seventh inning especially with, with a lot of injuries now very early on in the season to a lot of closers how are different bullpens going to shape up so we have to be very aware of that which starting pitchers are completely built up, which are not completely built up? How are you going to actually get five innings out of? Like if you had a pitcher like Corey Kluber who pitched today, didn't get out of the fourth inning. I mean, that is is that is that what you really want early on in the season? Probably not. Also, 
Ariel, you mentioned it earlier. Brendan Donovan, where is he batting in the lineup? You want to see the lineup constructions because what we saw in spring training, especially this year, is not really consistent with what we're going to see during the course of the year. Because of the World Baseball Classic, we didn't see the true lineups until much later in the season, much later in the, in the in the spring training. So you really want to see how they're going to line up. You want to see where they're batting in the lineup and how the manager is utilizing each player. Yeah, so uh, I look for pitchers. You mentioned velocity, absolutely. I want to take a look at Eno Saris's, uh stuff plus. I want to see how that works. Uh, so that's something I'll be paying attention to this year. Uh, and by the way, Stuff Plus is now available on Fangraphs. You can actually sort by it. Really cool. Um, I always look at K-BB, players, pitchers who strike out and don't walk a lot. That tends to stabilize really quickly. ERA could be all over the place. Hits could be affected by Babbitt. But strikeouts and walks are more in control of the pitcher, and it stabilizes fairly quickly. So that is something. Now, when, when you're on your league and you're on your free agent page, there isn't a, there isn't a column for K-BB. So in that case, you really can only look at strikeouts. I'll sort by strikeouts there, and then I'll take a look and throw out pitchers who have a high amount of walks. I sort of wish that Fangraphs would sort of let you import your leagues and then let you sort by just free agents and, and all the fan graph stats. That would be, like, amazing if, if they did that. Maybe I'll talk to somebody there. Uh, but that's something I, I do look at. For hitters, uh, yeah, I, Michael mentioned the ground ball rates. Uh, lineup order, where are they batting in the lineup? I look at their strikeout rate and walk rate as well because that stabilizes quickly, too, on the hitter's end. And just general production. Uh, I'm looking for guys who are showing me something. Uh, and then I'll dig a little bit deeper to see whether it looks real or not. So um, in terms of picking up, that also requires you to drop somebody on your roster. Michael, how do you decide how to drop someone? When do you drop an injured player for a non-IL league, of course, uh, a player who's demoted? When do you decide to drop a player who's just playing poorly? How do you know how to cut somebody? Well, I'll give you an example. Today, I've already done it in my home league, which is a head-to-head cats league on Yahoo. Old school with a bunch of my uh, friends. I dropped Luis Urias of the Brewers. He's got a hammy issue today. Doesn't mean he's going to go in the IL necessarily, but I picked him up for Spencer Steer. Now, I did that because, first off, I love Steer coming into the year, and we have much smaller benches in this league, so that context matters. Only four bench spots. Very, very small. So that means there's going to be more people on the waiver wire. But to me, that's why I can drop a guy like Urias because I can replace him with Brendan Donovan, who has shortstop eligibility. So he slides right in there where I was using Urias. And then Spencer Steer is a guy that I can mix in to my lineups going forward. And I feel very confident in that because of the size of the benches. So what is your roster limitations? That means a lot because if you have bigger bench opportunities or if you have a lot of il spots then you have more maneuverability to work with and i think that's key depending on what type of league you're playing whether it's head to head or just good old roto whatever your format is it's important to look at your roster limits and expectations and of course if there's innings caps you're going to think about that but that's what i think about hey will this player help me now am i in a battle to win a head-to-head situation but in in roto which you're not playing at head head you're playing for volume and a season-long effort that's when i'll be a little bit more patient and i i might let a guy work through it a bit especially if i have a few more bench spots to work with but you know i've been burned on that before ariel 
guys, a couple of years ago, like Nick Solak really burned. I remember that Nick Solak and Nick Senzel, the two Knicks in 2021. I don't know what I was thinking, but I held on to them way too long. And I ended up finishing next to last in that league because of it. It's, it's funny. Last last year, I kept hearing the name Spencer Steer. And I don't know, for some reason, I thought that people were just mispronouncing it because it, it should have been Spencer Strider. So I thought it was the same person. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. One's a hitter. One's a pitcher. What? Uh, that was funny. But, yes, I think the overall arching thing is that it is case dependent. And it depends on, the, you know, your bench size and what format. Here's the general rule, though. And I've said this many times, but it's worth saying again. You can drop somebody on your team if you don't think that somebody is going to pick them up the next week. If you think that if you drop somebody, they're going to instantly be gobbled up by somebody the following week, you should probably think twice about dropping them. Now, obviously, you might have injury issues on your on your squad and you just need production now. Sure, but all things being equal, don't drop somebody who the league would be interested in. That's a general, general rule. Anything to add, Ruvain? Yeah, I think it also depends on if a player is injured, what type of injury is it? Are they going to be out for a couple of weeks? Are you not going to know the situation for a couple of days or a week or two? Is it worth holding on to? Where did you draft them? If you drafted them earlier on, you hold on to them. But people you drafted, players you drafted in the last three, four rounds, a lot of those guys should be interchangeable. Like, for example, if you have a player like uh, Grayson Rodriguez, he was demoted. Do you have room on your bench for him? Maybe. Do you, would you drop him? Maybe. But would someone pick him up next week? That's also very, a very strong maybe. So it's it, it, those are case, It's a case there where I actually happen to have him in one, one of the leagues I'm in, and I'm holding on to him because even though I don't have that much space in my room and I don't have my, my bench, and I'm using all my bench guys already because I have so many injuries on my team at this point already, I still don't want to drop him because he will be picked up by another team next week. But... He, he hopefully will be called up in the next couple of weeks also because you think you're drafting him in a certain spot. You did all this work to get this player at this certain spot in the draft, and some guys you just want to hold on to. As for poor play, I think you need to give some players, especially the experienced, the veterans, about a month, maybe a month and a half to see how they'll pan out because there's always the Matt Carpenter um, um, example where he did nothing for like a month and a half, then he created a chili, and then all of a sudden he started doing really well. So you never know when these uh, – Veterans are going to just figure it out and figure out what's going on and change it. When it comes to rookies, especially on teams that have a manager that has a short leash, you may want to consider cutting those guys sooner rather than later. So if you have Vaughn Grissom, for example, a lot of people drafted him early in drafts, you know, somewhat highly with a, with a considerable pick. If you're in a, I'm going to say, let's say 15-team league right now, are you cutting Vaughn Grissom? Upside, but he's demoted. Um, assuming, you know, not, let's not assume you have a tremendous amount of injuries on your squad. Michael, are you cutting Vaughn Grissom? Well, it is very peculiar that you mentioned Vaughn Grissom specifically because I have that exact scenario in more than one league. But in particular, I drafted him in Glarf, which is a part of Earth, which is a wonderful league filled with tons of various leagues across all the regions of the United States. Glarf stands for the Great Lakes Area Roto Fantasy League. And I drafted Grissom, and I'm not dropping him. It's a 15-team Roto, 5x5. Five five. I'm going to wait it out. I want to see how it plays out because, for me, the guy is very talented and had a great lineup. Think about that situation. Atlanta's lineup, a lot of opportunity to score runs. Even if he hits at the bottom of the order, if he hits ninth, there's still a really talented bat there 
who I, I, I talked to people that know a thing or two about the Braves system, and they say he, he's the real deal. He's going to be an excellent player. So I trust the people that I talk to. You might think I'm a loon just babbling on a podcast here, but listen to me when I tell you that it, Vaughn Grissom, to me, is worth holding on to. So I'm not going to let him go because of what Ariel said. You know, he said, yeah, I think somebody would gobble up Vaughn Grissom fairly quickly in the league I'm in. So I don't want to let him go right now, and I'm willing to wait it out. But, 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 and this is the addendum I wanted to add what I said earlier, Ariel and Ruvain, is that last year I went heavy on drafting Chris Sale and Fernando Tatis Jr., like drafting them outright, waiting for them to return. And those took up bench spots, and those two guys provided nothing for me, nothing. So that really taught me a lot. I don't want to wait too long. And the lesson of sale to Tatis Jr. from 2022 will stick with me for a long, long time. So, but you're not dropping Grissom, right? So, not yet. So, not yet. Um, what if you were in a 12-team league? Would it be a drop? Is that shallow enough? That, that would be a maybe. I would consider it. If there was multiple middle infield positions and infield positions as well, in addition to just second base, I would hang on to him probably a bit longer. But if not, if it was just a standard setup, I might consider dropping him in 12-team a little bit quicker. But I would also still probably wait a couple of weeks because I still think he's going to get called up by the end of April. Hey, Ruvain, how about this one? In a 10-team league, 10, okay, 10-team mixed, are you dropping Luis Severino? Assuming there's no IL, of course, right? Assuming there's no IL, I am not dropping Severino yet. He's only supposed to miss three to four starts, and his value is higher than that of what a Vaughn Grissom would be. Vaughn Grissom, I'm, I mean, more has uh, more. E- it's easier for me to drop because the Braves just signed Orlando Arcia to a three-year contract extension. That's a little head scratching if they really want Vaughn Grissom up there. As for Luis Severino. The Yankees have so many injuries in their pitching front. He will, when he gets healthy, he will pitch, and he's pitching for a contract. So I think that even if he misses three, four weeks, I think I'm willing to hold on to him just a little bit longer as long as I have enough able bodies to actually pitch for that week. Can I push back on that real quick? With what you said about RCA's contract, I really think that was a very small deal. I think it was three years, seven million total. It's a it's a utility person's contract. I don't think it's a ringing endorsement of Arcia. And to me, I don't see it as a reason to be any less concerned that Grissom won't get playing time. I think they see him as a super utility guy, and that's what that contract says about him. You're a veteran, you can play around the league, the field, and that's good enough for you. Yep. I, I tend to agree with Michael on this one. Then 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 why then why do they have Grissom starting in the minors? He hit and he did well during spring training. It was a head scratcher why they sent him down to begin with. Arcia should be the utility guy and Grissom should be starting. I just don't know why they sent him down to begin with, because he was one of the players in spring training who just lit it up. He was he was hitting it in the same clip almost as Anthony Volpe, and Volpe with no major league experience made the Yankees roster. And the fact that Volpe made it and Vaughn Grissom didn't make it is just head scratching. The, the Braves know what they're doing with the money. I will tell you that. Anthopolis is excellent with, with uh, really knowing the timing of everything. So I'd say there's more than meets the eye in this case. Uh, but, no, I, I, think, I, think, um, I think the points are, are, are correct about Grissom. I think that he's worth holding on to, especially in deeper anything deeper than 12-team mono. I'd probably also uh, – 12-team mix, that is. I'd probably keep him anyways in a 12-team mix, at least for a couple of weeks, and uh, at least till uh, – at least a month, I would say. Um, but the point of this exercise was just to show you 
the, the listener that it really is case dependent, but you need to think about uh, you know the context and all that. And again, if you drop Grissom, is he going to be picked up? I kind of think he would in 12-team or higher. So uh, that is the thought I would have. All right, before we go on with the show, it's time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, we're going now into our bold predictions for this year. So I did some digging, and I and I went through some numbers, and I saw that last year nine players went 2020 or better, and in 2021 one player actually went 30-30. And in the history of baseball, this is the question, in the history of baseball, they're in the keeping stats, how many players have ever gone 40-40? Um... I think something around four or five. I know Jose Canseco did it. Jose Canseco is one of the guys who did it in 1988. Did did Bonds, the father, do it? Bonds, the father, went 30-30. He didn't go 40-40. Michael, any guesses? Oh, yeah. uh, Alfonso Soriano definitely did it. Yes, he did. 2006. It's mind-blowing, but that really happened. (laughs) Luis Gonzalez? Luis Gonzalez did not do it. Uh, I'm thinking of somebody else. Well, you mentioned Bonds, so I'm going to say Bonds. Barry Bonds, he did it in 1996, believe it or not. Of course, yeah. And there's one player you're missing. Trout? Soriano? No. Trout came close, though. Um, A-Rod. A-Rod. A-Rod, 1998, he did it. And for bonus points, who went 30-30 in 2021? Who was the only player in the majors to go 30-30? Cedric Mullins. Yes, that's correct. Cedric Mullins. So my, my bold, one of my bold predictions for hitters this year is that because of the stolen bases being pro- hopefully more prevalent this year when, when, because of the change of the rules, I think there will be two 40-40 players this year. That's Whoa. my hitter's bold prediction this Woo! year. Who would they be? Who would they be? Excellent question. I, I would probably have to say Acuna. Because he already stole yeah. a base today, and he's got the power to go 40-40. Um, and I, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if Otani did it. Yeah, that's interesting. But yes, today is our bold predictions episode. And Ruben started off our bold prediction with two 40-40 players. Wow. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely bold. Uh, Michael, want to throw in a bold prediction for this year? Let's start with a hitter bold prediction. Yes, I love Jonathan India. I think he was just injured last year, and that's the only problem. Other than that, this guy's talented. So I would like to say that Jonathan India of the Cincinnati Reds, who have the finest opening day experience across baseball, it's one of the oldest traditions, it's a lot of fun in the Queen City, a city that I spent one lovely year in, but actually didn't go to opening day, which is just baffling. I I don't know what I was thinking. I'm saying that Jonathan India is going to go 25, 25, 400 OBP. 25, 25, 400. Wow. Do you, do you think that this year, because of the injury last year, you know, projections were so down uh, that everyone buying him is getting a huge discount? Because he was going for like $20 in an auction uh, the previous year. Yeah, exactly. I completely think that. That's why I was really surprised in our Tout War auction when Jeff Potts from Baseball America, I thought I was going to get India for nothing. He kept going back and forth with me and put the bid up to $11. But this is a guy who is a leadoff hitter in a 
outstanding ballpark to hit in. I know the Reds as a team will not be very good in real life, but there are several players in that offense that are talented. So I see this as a guy who's going to return. I mean, Jonathan India end of season, you want to do like standard five by five roto value. I think he's a top, at least a top 80 player overall by the end of the season. All right. Um, I'll throw in uh, Alec Bohm and Ryan McMahon will combine for over 45 homers, 155 RBIs, and a 265 average. If the two of them will be dazzling. I think Alec Bohm is the real deal. And uh, projections have him at like 13 homers for the year. I think we're going almost double that. I think it's going to be 20 to 25 homers for him. He's going to bat over 280. Uh, he's going to knock in a heck of a lot. He already started doing that today. And Ryan McMahon, who's yet to play today from when we're recording, I think this guy is going to be fantastic. Um, you know, it's just everything he's going to put together. He 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 told reporters that, you know, he's really going to go try to hit bombs. I think that I've told everyone on this podcast that the Rockies are going to have a much better park factor for their team. Their home is the same, but now they don't have to go to face the Dodgers and the Giants and the Padres. They're going to be spread out on a little bit worse pitching teams, so you're going to see more offense even. And Ryan McMahon is going to be a staple in the lineup, going to bat third or fourth or something in the middle, um, and those guys are just going to combine, and I'm going to say that they'll probably both be all-stars this year. I also have one player-specific prediction, bold-hitting prediction. Sean Murphy, I think he will lead the National League in doubles. Last year, he had 37 of them playing in a very bad stadium, playing in Oakland, and there were 21 players who had more doubles than he did. But playing in Atlanta, I think he is going to lead the National League, if not the major leagues, in doubles. He is just a double machine, and I think he can do it. I think Travis Darnot might even be the best catcher on, on their team. He had a that really hot start also. today. Yeah, they've... They've got a great catching pair. Uh, what did the Mets do to let go Darno? Uh, they just gave him away for nothing. They they cut the wrong guy. Uh, that, that's just another. That's uh, just the Mets being the Mets. That's all. That was a long time ago. This is the glory days of the Mets now. Wow. Yeah, sure. I right. Mean, uh, exactly. I'm young enough to remember the Mets being in the pennant in 2015, and he was a part of that. And the Mets, what did the Mets give away for Darren Ruff? They gave away Sapucky and J.D. Davis and other people. And and they just cut rough. Oh, what a that's the Mets being the Mets. Oh, of course. Uh, I'm sure you'll mention your injury report. Justin Verlander now out. That's the Mets. But the Mets did win today, so got to be happy. All right, let's go to pitcher bowl predictions. Michael, who is a pitcher, or do you, let's make a, a some kind of a bowl prediction involving the pitching. I want to go. I got to put my money where my mouth is, as they say. Trevor Rogers of the Miami Marlins. I expect Trevor Rogers to finish the season with a sub three ERA. Book it. Yeah. Good player. We had Anthony Bass on our show a couple years ago, and we were talking to him and saying, you know, who's somebody that we don't know about that looks great in camp? Oh, Trevor Rogers. He, he's the guy. Uh, and, and he was correct that year. Um, all right. I definitely can see that. Ruvain, how about you? Uh, a bold pitcher prediction. This is really, really bold. Jose Berrios will have a bounce-back year and finish in the top 15 of the Cy Young voting. 
That's a very bold hey. prediction. He does have the stuff. He's been a little bit unlucky. I think maybe speeding up the pitching will, because of the, the pitch clock, may make him think a little bit less out there, and that may actually help him. So there's a, so that's my bold prediction for him. Not bad. Uh, I'm going to go with George Kirby. George Kirby is a top 10 starting pitcher. Um, I don't know if it's very bold, but, I mean, he's drafted as the number 25 starting pitcher, let's say. Um, I think that he's fantastic. Uh, that walk rate of his is pristine. 4%, one of the best walk rates in baseball for pitchers who throw at least 150 innings. Strikeout rate, 24%. Excellent. So we're talking about K-minus BB. He's just fantastic in that. And ATC risk parameters show that he's actually not as risky as you think, even though he's young. Uh, when I did my pricing, he would get a risk adjustment of about $2. So if we thought he was a $16 pitcher, let's say, uh, he's actually $18 risk-adjusted or whatever the, the price was in the format. Uh, so George Kirby, top 10 starting pitcher. Let's go to the bold prediction for awards. We're talking like a Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP. All right, what is your uh, – it doesn't have to be bold. It could just be predictions. But what is, what is one prediction that you have? Let's start with you, Michael. Well, I'm going to go with Oakland's Shintaro Fujinami will win the AL Rookie of the Year this season. That's right. The newcomer from the Nippon Japan Professional Baseball League who had uh, he had the yips. He did. It just he lost all control and he lost his way by 2019. But he came back strong last year. Things are looking up. And now he signs a very modest one year, three million dollar deal with incentives with the Oakland A's, who will not be a good team this year. But he will impress. And tomorrow when he goes head to head, well, from when we're recording this anyways, when he goes head to head with Shohei Otani in the next game, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see them go head to head. And I'm really, really excited. Shintaro Fujinabi to win the AL Rookie of the Year. Woohoo! Which actually, I'm realizing as I'm saying this out loud, they're not actually going head to head because Shohei's pitching tonight. So that won't happen, but that will happen at some point this season because the Angels and A's are rivals. Could be. I picked up uh, Fujinami for like two bucks out of a thousand in TGFBI. So I'm with you on the player, uh, and that's pretty bold. Uh, all right, Ruvain, how about you? What is a, uh, a an award prediction for you? An award prediction for me. I think that Shohei Otani will win the AL MVP, which is not that bold, but I think because he does it, he is going to be playing his way out of Anaheim. And I think the same thing is going to happen with Shane McClanahan. I think he's going to win the Cy Young, and he's going to play his way out of Tampa, a la Blake Snell. So I think those two guys, they're going to win their rewards for their respective teams, but may not be pitching for their teams next year. Very well could be. I mean, he's won the MVP before, Otani, so that's not without question. Um, I'm going to go with Kevin Gaussman for the uh, Cy Young. Uh, um, I'm going to say that, uh, well, I, I said uh, um, in an article that uh, he would be a top two, but eh, for this show, Cy Young Award to Kevin Gaussman. He had the absolute highest BABIP last year of any player, but by, by like a wide margin, by almost 40 points. Um, and the Blue Jays have imported a bunch of good fielders. We're talking Kermeyer. We're talking Varsho in the outfield. So those hits were, were falling in last year. And by the way, it affected not just Tim, it affected Berrios as well. Uh, that's going to be vastly improved. 
Uh, and if it just goes to luck neutral, we're talking sub three ERA, maybe almost two five ERA. Uh, his WHIP should should stabilize to a fantastic am- amount, and he has the strikeouts already. And the Blue Jays are a really good team. He could win twenty games this year. They've got a great offense. They scored like ten runs today. Uh, so Gaussman Cy Young Award. All right, let's do a team bold prediction. So we're talking about maybe a team make the playoffs, team doesn't make the playoffs, anything you like involving a, a team total. Let's th- let's go with uh, Ruvain first on this one. I'm going to go in the AL Central. I think the Twins are going to win the AL Central with a 500 record. I think because they're playing more outside of the division, that whole division is. I don't. Th- I think the Indians are good, but with Tristan McKenzie going down now, um, with um, Emmanuel Classe throwing as hard as he does, he's always at that quote-unquote risk for injury just because he throws so hard. I think that the Twins will catch up to them and will win the division with only a 500 record. Interesting one. Um, how about you, Michael? I love it, Ruvain. You are bold. This is good stuff. I would like to announce that in the 2023 season, the Los Angeles Dodgers will miss the playoffs. That's right. The Dodgers, who just every year are there, they don't always win it, obviously, but they're always in the playoffs. Heck, we even got an expanded playoff now. But that NL West, it's tough. The Padres are really, really good, and the Giants are going to be much, much better. Remember, two years ago, the Giants... They had triple-digit wins, and they made some nice signings in the offseason. I expect them to bounce back. And the NL East is filled with really talented teams. And I just think, unless the Dodgers make some moves to improve this year's roster, it seems like they're going to take a bit of a step back. I know that sounds absurd, but to me, when I look up and down the roster right now, I mean, they lost Lux. Maybe that wasn't a big deal. Maybe it was. I mean, Miguel Rojas, who's starting shortstop. No fantasy value, but in real life, he's a solid defender. I get that. I mean, we're supposed to rely. You guys know this. Thor, Noah Syndergaard is going to be revitalized by the Dodgers. I know that they do wonders with a lot of pitchers, but I am just not so sure of that. I think the Dodgers are going to sit it out in 2023. And I'm so glad you did this prediction because mine is going to be very similar, or at least it'll... It'll go along really well, but I'm going to predict that the Los Angeles Angels will make the playoffs. Finally, Trout will get a playoff spot, and he will taste the postseason. Um, I think the Angels have a lot of—you got Trout and Otani. Uh, (laughs) That would be pretty bad if the Angels wasted that all the years, but I think the Angels have it. According to ATC Projections— the Angels will be the fourth best team in the American League this year. By the way, announcement, new this season at Fangraphs. Not only can you see what Fangraphs has as the uh, projected odds and standings, but you can actually now see it using the ATC projections. That's right. ATC projected standings and odds, and this will be updated daily, I am told, on the website. Uh, so this is going to be really, really great. Um, so check that out. It just go under uh, the standings, 2023 20, playoff odds, and you can take a look at what ATC says. Uh, but, yeah, that's my prediction. The Angels, they're going to be in the playoffs this year. Better than the Mariners. I think that they're a better team than the Mariners um, in general. Well, here's a question for you. If you think they're going to make the playoffs – who do you think on that roster will have the most saves by the end of the year? Because that bullpen, I, I if they're going to do it, I mean, they need a 
closer, I guess. So who do you think is going to have the most saves at the end of the year? Jimmy Herget. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. It's going to be Herget. And is it going to be a, a lion share, 60%, 70%? Or is it just going to be a really bullpen by committee and just, you know, playing the, the odds? Um, I think it's going to be like the second shot. So I think Estevez is going to get the first shot. I think it's going to be Herget after. I can see Tapero used in more high leverage, but I think it's uh, it, it's going to be Herget getting the second shot after Estevez. And, uh, you know, once he falters, it'll be Herget. So, you know, let's say he'll get a bunch of saves in the first month, and then Herget will take over and get the lion tree after. Then, then, then I will piggyback on what you said on your bowl prediction, and if that happens, then my bowl prediction will be that Jimmy Herget makes the all-star team. Ooh. How about that? That's interesting. Don't forget Matt Moore, by the way. It's not ridiculous to rule him out. He looked all right in relief last year in Texas, and lefty, now though. he's in that bullpen. Yeah, he's a lefty. It's true, but... I just wouldn't rule him out. I, I was hoping he would get more opportunities. I think he only got the one save last year in Texas, so it's more of a long shot. I'm, I like I said, I'm with Herget. That's the guy I think is the best option in that bullpen. But uh, you know, keep an eye out. Yeah, let's do predictions for the pennant winners and World Series. Michael, who's gonna win each league, and who do you have winning the whole thing? Well, I have to say, true to my school, and this is not. Brown nosing. I'm not being a sycophant here. I really am not because I already said this prior and I got to stick with my picks. I got the Blue Jays taking the AL Bennett and I've got the New York Mets, even though Verlander is not available right now and they lost Edwin Diaz already. I got the New York Mets taking the NL Pennant. <laughs> Who's going to win it all? The New York Mets. That's my pick. I'm sticking <laughs> with it all year. I had it before these injuries happened. The New York Mets will win the World Series this year because money is no object for Mr. Steve Cohen, and they can just go out and add as many players as they need to, and they do have assets that they can sell off that are valuable, like Brett Beatty's and Francisco Alvarez's, if they want to move on from them to add veterans to close the deal this year. Well, from your uh, mouth to God's ears, of course. And did, did you see Steve Cohen uh, in the stands with the seven line yes. today. That was, that was awesome. Just Man a regular guy. Man of the people. That was cool. That was so cool. I tweeted about it. I'm like, I could not imagine Chris Illich. I'm a Tigers fan, of course. I live in Metro Detroit. I could not imagine Chris Illich, owner of the Tigers, doing what Steve Cohen was doing in that video. I, I'm not the biggest Steve Cohen fan in terms of a human being, but I respect the heck out of him being there with the seven line army or the seven line crew, whatever they call him. It was really, really cool. Kudos to him. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but Steve Cohen is actually my uncle. <laughs> are you? Are, yeah, are you mess with me. That's an early April Fool's joke. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> I almost fell for it. I almost fell for that one. I either go with that one or say that Gary Cohen is my is my uncle. But uh, you know, I'm Gary Cohen. <laughs> Which is more believable? I don't know. Uh, but uh, my bold, I'm sorry, my uh, prediction for the Pennant World Series. <laughs> it's the same one as you for most of it. Uh, Blue Jays win the AL pennant, and the Mets win the NL pennant. I do have uh, the Blue Jays winning the whole thing, though. I think that the Blue Jays have tons of pitching. I think they have tons and tons of offense. They've got a solid closer, and they, too, can add somebody midseason as well. Uh, I think that they just have it all. And, you know, they don't have to face the Yankees all that much. They've altered their roster. They've altered their park dimensions to suit their needs. I think they know what they're doing, uh, and I'm going to say that they're going to win the whole thing this year. Ruvain, is it three for three, or you have somebody else? 
No, actually, and I'm being a Met fan. I hate to say this. You know what's coming already. I think Seattle is going to win the AL complete out. Really? I think they're going to come out and they're going to, all the young kids are going to stay healthy. They're going to do what they're supposed to do. The pitchers are going to stay in line. That bullpen is very solid. I think they're going to be very good. And I think they're going to win the AL. And I think the Braves are coming out of the National League. You can't knock the Braves. Everyone always knocks the Braves. They're not going to win a division this year. not going to win it this year. But they win it every single year year no matter what the Mets were so good last year the Braves knocked them out I don't think the Dodgers are so much of a threat because they don't have a bona fide closer they're they don't have a true one one a or an a slayer and I'm a little bit concerned about that um and there's the NL Central I'm not too worried about either the Cardinals a little bit but not so much the Phillies can make a run because their offense is so good but the Braves they're just so deep I think the Braves are going to win the World Series as well I think they're going to top Seattle I can definitely see that, the Braves. Um, I mean, their offense is stellar. And, yeah, I agree with everyone about the Dodgers. I, I think the Padres are winning the division this year. But uh, Seattle, I actually don't think they're even going to make the playoffs. I, I really don't. Uh, I, my money is on the Angels to overtake them. And Houston should be in the mix, uh, if not win the division. So I, I don't see Seattle. So that's, that's very interesting. Very interesting to hear you say that, Ruvain. Well, I, I like Seattle. The Seattle, they're young players. I think they're getting into it. They got a taste of the playoffs last year, and they came pretty close. They actually put up more of a fight against the Astros than the Yankees did. I know the Yankees were hurt, but still, they put up more of a fight than the Yankees did. So I think they have a shot of coming out. I know the Blue Jays are really good. The Blue Jays are really good, and they can always use another bullpen arm or two. I think they'll get it, but I think that Seattle just has have more of the intangibles, and I think Julio Rodriguez is going gonna, is gonna to emerge as one of the best, if not the best, player in baseball. All right. Any other predictions to make, Michael? Any Anything else to share with us about thoughts about the 2023 season? Well, I want to join Ruvain. I think the Mariners are a great team. I think that's a fine call. To me, the Blue Jays and the Mariners are very similar. They're almost mirror images of each other in a lot of ways in terms of how they've come to prominence, how they've built their teams. They're on similar paths and schedules. So... I like it, Ruvain. I would I would root for the Mariners and the Blue Jays either way. Uh, I will tell you, I got to get down the record. I might as well. The Tigers will win 70 games this year. That's right. They will beat the predictions. The over-under is 69 and a half. The Detroit Tigers will win 70 games. Lock it in. Here it is. <laughs> Are you going to be excited if they win 70 games? Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a big year here, man. I'd be stoked, Ariel. <laughs> Uh, all right. <laughs> I actually have another one. I think that there are going to be more 200-inning pitchers this year than last year. I think the uh, same thing that I mentioned about the pitching before. I think the speeding up the pitchers, I think that's to the advantage of the pitchers. I think they're going to go deeper in games. I think they're going to be – last year, there are only eight pitchers who threw 200 innings or more. I think there are going to be more this year. So we'll see how that works out. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I, I tend to think that it's going to be the same or less. I think that uh, baseball still with, uh, you know, don't let don't let you go more than two times the order. Uh, I, I think they're going to go even more. There are certain pitchers, you know, who, who tend to go long in games, they'll continue. But I don't see other people jumping up. Uh, it's more like an old school thing. I don't see people jumping up to that level. That's why they call it a bold prediction. I guess I guess <laughs> it is. Yeah. Who, who leads the league in stolen bases? Anybody? Starling Marte. Jorge Mateo. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. Two today already, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I'd say Jorge Mateo is interesting. I don't know if he's going to get full playing time, but he should be should be well in the mix. Any Anybody uh, think Esteri Ruiz is going to? Gonna have like sixty stolen bases. He had eighty five no. in the minors last year. Yeah, I'd have not drafted him anywhere, so I'm not a fan. I'm not believing that, so I say no. Doesn't mean it's not gonna happen. Right. He's got to get the first base first before he can steal bases, though, right? Exactly. So, how many fifty home run guys are gonna be there? One, two. What two? Which two? I think Alonzo will do it. I actually think Alonzo is going to win the NL MVP because I think he's, there's more pressure on him because of Diaz being out. I think he's going to have a monster year. He also stole a couple of bases during the course of the spring training, so watch him to steal some more this year, I think, also. Um, but I think it's going to be him, and I, I can't say no to Judge. How could Judge not hit 50? He's, he's, done, it, he's done it twice already, or, or at least in the high 40s, and he yeah, hit 62. He's done it twice. Yeah. I, I I think he can do it. There's no reason no reason why he can't do it again. I mean, he's on pace right now for 162, so why not? Yeah, I mean, you talk about regression. He's going to regress from 62 to, to what, right? I mean, he's not going to regress <laughs> to 30. Um, yeah, that's, that's very possible. I think Christian Walker is going to have a big year. I don't know if he'll get 50, but I think 45 homers, might he might do it. That's bold prediction. Christian Walker, 45 homers. That's what he does. Will anybody bat over 340 this year? No. Because no. last year, the league leader and major league leader was was um, Jeff McNeil in the, in the 320s. Do you think anyone's going to hit over 340? No, that won't happen. Well, when was the last time someone hit 340? Actually, that's a good question. That's a while. Or at was... least 340. Yeah. I mean, Gwynn did that, right? I, I can't remember. Well, yeah, Maglio Ordonez hit 363 in 2007. I remember that because he was wow. a Tiger. But that really oh, happened. Right. That was amazing. So no no, no takers of over 340. Anybody going to win 20 games? 20 games in the majors this year again? Oh, yeah, yeah. Julio yes. Urias of the Dodgers. Yeah, there'll be someone. I mean, if, if Kyle Wright can do it, if um, – what was the pitcher's name who, who won the Cy Young with the Red Sox a couple of years ago? He disappeared after that. Didn't Porcello? Have he won 20 games. Rick Porcello. So, Rick Porcello. There's or always retired. a random pitcher who just has great luck and happens to win 20 games. It's always like that every year. Yeah, that seems like an easy call. Anybody going to have uh, 50 saves? Ooh. No. Uh, no. I would have said Edwin Diaz preseason. I really yes. would have. Yeah, that <laughs> would be it. the only one, right? That's it. Uh, Jordan Romano could do it. I could see Romano doing it. Uh, I could see that happening, but uh, unlikely. Any rookie to have 30 homers? Uh, Jordan Walker, maybe? Carroll? Nah. No. No, I see that. Not, not 30. No, Walker would be the so. guy I would not think not of. this year. I think there's a better chance of, of a rookie having over 40 stolen bases, but not 30 home runs. Yeah, mm -hmm. th definitely. Oh, that that's that's always the case, of course, because when you're young, you show your speed, you develop power a little bit later. Sometimes, I think Walker could do it. I think 30 home runs. I'm going to say he can do that for sure. He's in the opening day lineup. He's here. Yeah, why not? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, what what are, what are your thoughts on Walker, uh, Michael? I mean, to me. You know he's definitely a fine, a fine prospect. I just have a, I had a hard time paying what the market was was buying him for. Uh, right after he had that great spring training, uh, and he hit the, especially after that game where he just went nuts and hit two homers. I was going to pay sixteen, seventeen dollars for an unproven commodity. But uh, I, oh, what is it? Yesterday, uh, I talked with, with uh, Ian Khan, and 
um, in his draft, Corbin Carroll went like in the middle of the third round. How how, do, how can that happen? How, how how can you draft a rookie so high? I don't know. What, what do you think of those uh, those rookies for this year? Yeah, I can't do that. I'm with you. I did not draft Jordan Walker anywhere, so I have no participation with Walker so far this season. I got to go to Arizona last late November for Arizona Fall League. First pitch Arizona put on by Baseball HQ. A lot of fun. Those are the three events I get to do. Now that I'm in Tout Wars, I get to go to New York, and I get to go to Arizona and Vegas. Those are my three big events, part of the community, and what makes fantasy baseball so awesome, and all the people are the best. And when we were out there, I got to sit right next to Eric Cross, who... I mean, he knows prospects as well as anybody. We watched the All-Star game, and Jordan Walker was right there. I was there. there. I was oh, there. yeah, you were there, too. Yeah, you were there, too. What am I talking about? See, look, I'm spacing out. There's so many people. It's a whirlwind. But, I mean, he looks really impressive for being so young, too. He is built. But, you know, there was a lot of talk around the whole event, at least with people I talked to, Ariel, that, you know, he wasn't uh, didn't have the right attitude. But that's something that's a lot of hearsay, and I get that. It's not data that you can quantify. But... He had the tools. It was just a question of could he put it together with the mental and the physical aspect. And based on what people told me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait and see with Walker. I'm not going to pay that price. I would pay for Carroll, but I still had zero shares as well. I do think he's going to steal a bunch of bases, and probably Carroll will win NL Rookie of the Year, as we were talking about earlier. But uh, I don't have either one of those guys on any teams, as far as I know, off the top of my head. So, so what impressed me most about that four-stars game with Jordan Walker is, if you remember, the game was over. Like, the top of the ninth, the, they, they got the, the team out, and they decided, even though the game was over, to play the home inning anyways because they wanted to get a certain pitcher to pitch. And he pitched against his squad. Like, he literally changed teams to pitch against his squad in the four-stars game. And the very last batter of the entire thing, after the whole thing was over, like, who cares, was Jordan Walker. And I saw him, and he literally just barely swung the ball, and it went opposite field, and it just went all the way to the warning track and almost went out. I thought that was impressive. Everyone was like, whoa, look at that, <laughs> barely swing. You remember that play? That, yeah, that was very, very impressive. And also, how can I forget, you, we did a panel earlier that morning, you and I, <laughs> yes, on we the last did. day of <laughs> first pitch. So, yeah, I'm sorry I spaced out. That was a lot of fun. Yes, I was there. The uh, the nephew of Steve Cohen was there. That's correct. He, I couldn't believe it. I don't know how he afforded to get you there, but he did. He pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. We did a lot of predictions here. We had some fun today. We did strategy in the beginning, which we always do, and we had a blast. So I want to thank so much to Michael Govier for coming on the show. Michael, why don't you just tell the audience where we can listen to you, read your work, and all things Michael Govier. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. Ariel and Ruvan, you guys are a real joy to talk to. This was fun. This was a legitimately enjoyable experience. It's well-organized. Beat the shift rules. You can also read my work once a week. It comes out every week. It's called Groovin' with Govier. That's at FTNFantasy.com. It's totally free. So even if you don't have the paywall, you don't have to worry about that. My article is free every Wednesday. It's a roundup. I take a look about now that baseball is finally starting, I can talk about what's actually happening here beyond spring training and draft stuff, and that's what I'll do. It's a baseball roundup. I provide you some snippets of players and some things I'm looking at in my own leagues so that you can understand the overall picture, blah, blah, blah. That's at FTNFantasy.com. And, of course, Blotso Podcast, two L's, two Z's. We do shows on YouTube and podcasts, so you can check out either or. If you want to see my face, that's great. If you just want to listen, you can listen on your preferred podcast platform.
And of course, the Palazzo podcast is named after one of the best scenes <laughs> in movies for baseball in The Naked Gun, one of my favorite movies with Leslie Nielsen. And uh, the uh, opera singer that he pretended to be was Enrico <laughs> Palazzo, right? That's right. We used to call the show, we really did when I first started it, me and my partner, Chris Deary. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo Fantasy Baseball Podcast. So we've downsized to the alliteration of Palazzo Podcast. But yes, Naked Gun, one of my all-time favorites. I totally agree. Uh, do you like the number two better than one? I actually thought that the opening scene of two was my favorite scene of the entire uh, Naked Gun trilogy. Ooh, that's a bold, talk about bold statements, bold predictions. With Barbara uh, Bush, Barbara Bush there, remember that? <laughs> yeah, two is two is very funny. Two is as funny or almost as funny as one. Three kind of falls off a bit, but I, overall, two has some of the best lines in either film. Yeah, Ruben, how about you? And maybe you can chime in on the Naked Gun as well. <laughs> I think any movie with Leslie Nielsen in it. If people don't know who Leslie Nielsen is. Just rent all his movies. Get all his movies and watch them all because he is just a comedic – he's comedic dynamite. That's what he Surely is. Surely everybody has amazing. heard of Leslie Nielsen. Um, and if sure they don't, that. then people have to get in line and start slapping that person to get them to know what's going on, just like in the movie <laughs> Airplane. That's all. Master um, of the yeah, deadpan. No, Master of I, the deadpan comedy, yep. Yeah, I, I think I think that two was a little better than one. Uh, 33 and a third was good. I like that one a lot. Um, but they're they're all good, you, and and but because of the baseball and with, yeah, I mean, you have Re a Reggie Jackson being hypnotized. I mean, come on, that's great. <laughs> that's great stuff. <laughs> that's awesome. uh, all right, Ruben, <laughs> why don't you just tell us about uh, what you're working on? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come. And my article for Rotable is coming out this week, and it's going to include some interesting tidbits, including the fact that Liam Hendricks wasn't put on the 60-day IL, that um, uh, that Jose Altuve wasn't put on the 60-day IL, and what's the real story behind Justin Verlander, and whether or not you should be really concerned about him or not. Well, hold on a second. We forgot the whole uh, the uh, injury report here. <laughs> I was going to say. Oh, do, you, oh do, you, do, you want, do you want me to do it at this point? I'm sorry. We were having, of course, we are having so much fun here. But, yes, we have so many injuries to cover. What am I doing here? Yeah, so um, Jose Altuve, he was not put on the IL, on the 60-day IL. He's been on the 15-day IL. But they think that he's going to come back sometime before June. So that's interesting to watch for. Mitch Hanniger starts the season on the aisle with a grade one oblique strain. It happened March 4th and typically keeps players out for six to eight weeks. With no setbacks, he could come back sometime mid-April. Randall Grichuk is rehabbing from hernia surgery in the offseason. He had some discomfort related to his scar near his right hip. It's not considered a major setback. He just got, you know, he's a little bit behind everyone else, so he'll come back also early part of April. Harrison Bader is about two uh, is about two weeks into his expected six-week absence from an oblique injury as well. Watch what goes on there because that whole playing situation, Aaron Judge right now is playing center field. Aaron Hicks, I don't know how you can stomach him on your, on your fantasy roster, is available. Oswaldo Cabrera plays the outfield. And they also signed Franchi Cordero, which is a very interesting signing. Another guy with an oblique injury, Seiya Suzuki. He's recovering from an oblique injury. He's been taking batting practice. He looks good. Look for him to return mid-April. Another Yankee, Carlos Rodon, threw a 30-pitch bullpen session this week. Felt encouraged afterwards. Still, I don't think he'll be back until 
May. So he's a guy that, you, unfortunately, you, you draft him so early, you have to hold on to just because he could be that good. I mentioned Tristan McKenzie before. He shut down for about two months for an injury for a right terror's major muscle strain, while Justin Verlander also has a muscle strain for the same muscle, and he's only expected to miss one or two starts, which is very interesting. So keep an eye on Justin Verlander. Carl Wright is having right shoulder inflammation. Um, he's a little bit behind everyone else in, in just rehabbing. He had a cortisone shot in January. He's expected to miss only two starts. So if you have him, he'll be ready hopefully soon. Same with Tony Gonsolin. He's still recovering, building up his stamina. He should be okay. And Ryan Pepiot, who was supposed to fill into his spot, just was placed on the IL today with a left oblique strain. No word how bad it is, but now Michael Grove is up. And I have to mention um, two more. Max Freed, he left his opening day start with a left hamstring discomfort. That's what they said. We don't know how long it's going to be for what's going on. And the last but not least, I mentioned Liam Hendricks about not being placed on the 60-day IL. There was a podcast with Lance Lynn. He was interviewed, and he said that he expects Liam Hendricks to be back sooner than you think. Liam Hendricks is battering non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and we wish him the best. We hope he gets better as quick as possible, but he is throwing bullpen sessions. Bullpen sessions doesn't mean he's building up for spring training. It's just keeping up muscle memory so he's able to return quicker when he you know as possible but lance lynn said that he may return as early as late may early june if all goes well and that would be fantastic we certainly wish him the best and want him to come back soon great competitor he is um so you know just a couple of notes from what i heard on on what you said carl Radon, um sounding more optimistic he might be actually a draft steal because he was going cheap like when we were drafting back in draft season you know, you never know what's going to be with him. And, ah, oh, crap, I just blew this. But he could be a steal. Tristan McKenzie, though, he's one of those guys that it's very tough. Like, you, you can't drop him right now, and it could be somebody that eats your roster spot for quite a while. We're talking non-IL, of course, non-IL leagues. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's kind of tough. Sort of, we were talking about it earlier, but I don't think you can do anything other than hold him, at least till we know more, right? Yeah, I think you're right about that. You, you can't. He, he's, 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 he could be so valuable that, listen, the Indians are going to be careful with him. They're not going to come have him come back too soon, but this could be a similar thing to what Noah Syndergaard. Noah Syndergaard had a lat injury a couple of years ago, and he, he got injured very early on. And and I know both of us, me and Ari, we had him in a lot of leagues, and we held him, and we held him, and we held him. He didn't come back to the last week of the season because these injuries are very tricky, so you have to be careful about it. And with all these injuries that I mentioned, this is only the tip of the iceberg. So, Get the, make sure you look at my article on Rotoballer. It discusses all these injuries, plus a heck of a lot more. Yeah, a lot of stuff there. Well, sorry for uh, for, for, for almost missing uh, your injury report. So, uh, you know, usually, usually the audience should know, usually we're actually pretty on script, and we usually plan out a lot of things. Uh, but at, sort of at the end of the episode, we were very freeform. We were just uh, going off topic and just going with the conversation. So I just... Uh, Forgot that, but uh, I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad I reminded myself uh, when, when you started talking injuries with your uh, your outro there. Yeah, my, my, I think I hinted it at pretty well. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> you got me. Well, we're not all sitting in the same room on the podcast. Otherwise, you would have like uh, nudged me or stepped on my foot or something like that. And probably stepped on your foot really hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which you, well, you, you've never done that. <laughs> really, only right? once. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Ariel Cohen, and uh, you can find my work over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer, 
On Twitter, I'm at ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to uh, the Beat the Shift podcast right here. We are going to take a three-week hiatus. We'll be back in three weeks from now, so we're going to miss two episodes celebrating Passover. Draft relief. We we need to relax after all these drafts. We've been through so much. Ariel needs his beauty rest because he's only sleeping three hours a night. So, you know, that's what we'll do. Yeah, not, my voice is still, uh, still. you can probably tell, is not 100%. But hopefully in three weeks it'll be pristine and we'll be back to normal. And we'll be doing our regular uh, bits where we do our waiver wire and pitcher preview and, and all that, getting you ready for each week. But we'll do that in, uh, in uh, just three weeks from now. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Draft season, we've gotten so many compliments on all the shows that we've done, um, you know, with the heavy strategy, the auction, just uh, so many compliments. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening all draft season. I really hope that everyone had a successful and fun time this whole season. And really, I hope you do well and hope you crush every single league unless you're playing against me, which uh, stop listening to the podcast. All right. That's all from uh, from over here. Once again, thank you to Michael Govier for joining the show and from all of us here at Beat the Shift. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.